Welcome to the Peckway Church Podcast. We're glad you're here. At Peckway, our mission is to transform lives by connecting people with God and with each other. It's our hope that this message will give you hope and encourage you to take the next step in your journey with Christ. For more information about our services and weekly ministries, visit us at peckwaychurch.com. doing great things in our hearts and lives, and we're celebrating that here today. Let's worship. And break every 
Peckway Church, go ahead and have a seat. Thank you so much for being here today, both in person and online. Inside of your bulletin is a great connection card. I'm going to invite everyone here to take that out online. There's going to be a connect link in the chat window that you can click on. That's our digital connection card. Uh, but this is simply our way of being able to uh, just be sure that we're keeping up to date with one another, that we're able to provide resources, things that you might be interested in here in Peckway Church, or just to let you know what's coming, what's happening here, uh, the exciting things that God is doing is, is going to be continuing to doing, um, I think I got my words wrong there, but it's going to be continuing to do. There we go. That's what I wanted to say. But uh, if you would, just take a moment anytime during the service today to complete that online, that chat link, uh, remain in the window there that you can click on that as well. On the back of that card is a place that you can write prayer requests, write comments, any of those kind of things. You can also do that online as well. But we love to get your prayer request. Every, uh, every morning the staff gathers together. We pray along with you and pray over those requests that you put on the card. So thank you so much for trusting us with that. And uh, so we uh, encourage you to do that each and every week. Well, we are starting a brand new sermon series, and it's called Love God, Love People. And, you know, sometimes we... It's hard, right, to love, uh, and so it just depends on what it is. And uh, but you know, God is a great example. He's shown us His love. He's got unconditional love for us, right? And uh, and so we can look to Him. And today we're going to see what it looks like to love God. And you've heard probably that verse where it talks about loving God with all your heart, your strength, your soul, your mind. So we're going to look at that today, and we're going to continue that over the next several weeks. So I can I encourage you to to make a plan to be here as we continue discovering in that vein of what we've been doing, of how it or what it looks like to be fully devoted to God. So have those, uh, those notes ready for a little bit later in the service as we discover that. But we have a theme song that we want to kick off today with as we do this series. And so I'm going to let you guys remain seated as we kind of introduce that to you today. But this song is going to help us remember uh, what it looks like to love God and to love people. I've been running in circles, jumping the hurdles, getting caught in that rush, doing so much. I'm feeling kind of worn out. All this checking the boxes, trying to be flawless, has me spinning my head, catching my breath, too afraid to slow down. I tell myself to keep this up. God wants more than just my love But I've been complicating things It's just like me to overthink Gotta keep it real simple, keep it real simple Bring everything right back to ground zero Cause it all comes down to this 
love God and love people. Oh, this is freedom. The keys to the kingdom. Knowing life will be found when love can be loud. Cause love is what it's all about. I tell myself to keep this up. That all God wants is just my love. No more complicated things. No more need to overthink. Gotta keep it real simple. Keep it real simple. Bring everything right back to ground zero. Cause it all comes down to this love God and love Rescues hearts and changes lives. Love is all we need to make things right. Oh, keep it simple. Yeah. We gotta keep it real simple. Keep it real simple. Bring everything right back to ground zero. Cause it all comes down to this love. That's what we're going to try to do. Amen. So we look into God's word today and see how that reflection of looking into his mirror, his word, is how we can become in line with him and have that relationship that lines up with him. So won't you stand with us this morning? I hope you left your troubles, your cares at the door as you came in because we are in God's house this morning. All shame is gone, all guilt when we come to him because we are truly forgiven. Sometimes on this journey, I get lost in my mistakes. What looks to me like weakness is a canvas for your strength. And my story isn't over, my story's just begun. And fear you won't define me, cause that's what my father's done. No fear you won't define me, cause that's what my father does. Shame at the door, cause it ain't welcome anymore. Ooh, you're in the Father's house. Arrival's not the end game, the journey's where you are. You never want it perfect, you just want it by heart. And 
the story isn't over, if the story isn't good, cause failure's never final when the father's in the room, and failure's never final when the father's in the room,
to leave my past behind And I won't be shaken No, I won't be shaken Cause my fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand in your love My fear doesn't stand a chance When I stand Father, thank you for your love, for your unfailing love, love your, God, your love that um, has no conditions. And so today as we come into this place, as we talk about what love looks like, God, is so different from the world. As I think about the things that you said, Father, uh, Lord, as we, how we approach life, how we approach people in our relationships, God. Lord, would you stir our hearts now? Help us to see maybe where uh, we're not loving people like we should, where we're not loving you like we should. And so, Father, now as we come to this moment, we thank you for what you're going to do through the power of your word and through your spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Sorry about that, Billy. The batteries were not all the way in, but good morning. And I just want to say at the very beginning, as I often do, and I always mean it, thank you, Scott. Thank you, worship team, for reminding us of, of this incredible love that we can build our lives and base our lives on, the love of God. And, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I suspect you've been doing what I've been doing, and that is you've been watching the news. And as we look at institutions collapse, like banks and we look around and we see what many of us would describe as family values collapse and common courtesy collapse. The reality is it was good to be reminded, thank you, Scott, thank you, team, for reminding us 
that the way we see and going to see real and lasting change isn't through political action, though there's nothing wrong with that. The way we're going to see real and lasting change and those things reversed is by seeing us live into the love of God, more specifically to love God and to love people. If we really practice that, there is the hope, there is the encouragement that things will change, change for the better. And I say that because today I want to begin a series in which we're going to be examining Jesus's answer to a question that was put to him by a man who basically said this. I'm paraphrasing, but this is really the essence of what he said. He said, Jesus, would you take all the commandments floating around in religious culture today, in the Jewish religious culture of the day, of Jesus' day, and I want you to identify the one that matters most. He said, can, can you do that for me, Jesus? Can you boil it all down? Can you make sense of it? And I need you to understand that that was far more than just an academic question. That was far more than simply a question of curiosity, because in fact, in that day, it was a very, very important question, for it was a very practical question. Here's the reason I say that. Here's what was happening in that day. You may or may not know this, but in Jesus's day, the religious leaders had calculated, they had determined that there was, in God's Word, the Old Testament, 248 commandments and 365 prohibitions. A total, if you will, of 613 laws. And what these religious leaders had determined, not only that that was the number, but to live for God, they said, it's absolutely essential that a person keeps every single one of them, without exception. They, you have to keep every one of them, they said, to live for God. And so to make sure no one broke even one of those laws, one of those commandments, one of those prohibitions, what they did is they decided to put laws around the laws. In other words, kind of imagine it like this. Here was their intention. It was a good intention. They said, you know what? If we'll build a hedge of protection around those 613 laws of God, then in, in hope and faith, what we hope will happen is it will act as a barrier to keep anyone from getting close enough to breaking one of those actual laws. Does that make sense? They said, let's build a barrier. And so what they did is around those 613 core laws of God, they built another 1,500 plus laws. They, they added laws upon the laws. Let me give you just one example. And it really works out to about 2.4 laws per God's law. Here's one, one example. To keep a person from working on the Sabbath and so breaking the Sabbath, what they said was this. They said, if you come upon a wounded person, someone in your family is wounded, someone in your family is injured, or you come along someone that's injured, it's okay to apply a bandage, but you can't apply medication because doing the latter is work. Folks, that was the kind of, if you will, I'm going to call it that, the kind of, you know, irrational kind of nonsense that these individuals, in good intention, bizarre kind of things they came up with to put around the 613 core laws of God. That, that was the process. That was what happening in the day, which is why when Jesus was seen as this great and important teacher... And individuals who truly desire to live for God came to him and say, Jesus, help us. Help us to boil down all of these laws to a place that's in, in something that is manageable. I mean, take this mountain and reduce it to something we could actually do. Because if you think about it, God's laws and the additional laws, folks, there were more than 2,000 laws, prohibitions, commandments, that the average Jewish devout Jew was trying to keep and observe. 
And so it was overwhelming. So someone came to him and they said, Jesus, make sense of this. Help us understand the one thing that we need to know, that we need to do, because quite honestly, at this point, Jesus, things have become so complicated, most of us don't even know what it really means to live for God. Most of us don't even know what's really required to live for God. Now, that's a historical context. I want you to keep it in mind, and I want to take you now to that actual encounter, what actually took place between this religious leader and Jesus. It's from Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 28, and I'll just read it from you from the NIV. But here's what it says. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Now, if you have your Bibles open, what you know they were debating was the resurrection. Whether, in fact, there was a resurrection, and if there was a resurrection, they were Sadducees. But if there was a resurrection, which they didn't believe, then if someone was married to, to the same woman, or seven brothers were married to the same woman, who would finally be married to her in heaven? Again, it's kind of this ridiculous question, but here's what we're said. They said, the teacher of the law came and heard this debate. And noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all our heart, with all our understanding, with all our strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to them, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any questions. Now that's the encounter, but remember I said at the beginning, I want us to focus on Jesus' answer. So let me take you there again. It really is given in verses 29 through 31. And again, here's how it reads in the NIV. The most important one, Jesus said, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, what I want us to understand, you need to know, is that Jesus' answer was taken from two sources. The first one was from a passage that every devout Jew not only knew, but knew by heart. I have it there in your outline. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Here's what it says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Now, that was the passage, but in giving it, and if you will, quoting it, Jesus made one strategic addition. And the strategic addition was this. He added, and love God with all your mind. And here's what I want you to understand, and we need to understand, that every devout Jew listening to Jesus picked up on that addition. You said, how do you know that? Because the, the passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 and 5, was known as the Shema. It was the great confession of the faith, and it was called the Shema because that's the first word. The Hebrew word for here is Shema. And it was a great confession of the faith, and as the great confession of the Jewish faith, every devout Jew recited it every morning and every evening, every day of their life. And so there wasn't a person in the crowd who was a devoted Jew who did not know that Jesus had made an addition. 
So that's the first source. The second source was from the book of Leviticus, and I have it there in your outline. It's from Leviticus 19, verse 18. And here's what it reads in the original. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people, but love your neighbor, underline that, that word neighbor, as yourself, I am the Lord. Now in this source, Jesus actually just kind of borrowed it wholesale, at least a part of it. But here's the thing. The way Jesus was using it and the way Jesus intended it to be heard was absolutely diametrically opposed <clears throat> to how the average person there, the devout Jew, heard it and understand it. See, the, the difference was the devout Jew, when they heard neighbor, they read and they heard another Israelite, someone from our faith, someone from our community. But Jesus made something completely different. They had made it tame. They had made it manageable. Jesus made it radical. Jesus made it universal because he said it applies to everyone. And the best place you could see that, not in a parallel passage, but a similar encounter in, in Luke chapter 10, we have the story of the Good Samaritan. At the very beginning of that, it says a religious leader came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man literally quoted Jesus and, and the Shema and Leviticus. And Jesus said, so go and do likewise. And the man seeking to justify himself, Luke tells us, asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? And it's the, that context in which Jesus tells the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And at the end of that, he says, so go and do likewise. So Jesus clearly wanted his hearers to understand that when we said neighbor, it was universal. It was anyone and everyone in need. That was God's original intention. Here's what I want us to understand about this. So Jesus, in response to the man's question, took 2,113 laws and distilled them down to two. Two non-negotiable requirements to love God and love people. He said, that's it. You can take all of the law, all the commandments, all the prohibitions, and all the, the, the commandments and distill them down to two. Love God, love other people. Now let's talk about that idea of love, because everything pivots on that word love, doesn't it? To love God and love people. Now in the English language, we have one word for love, don't we? It's love. And so we talk about loving our spouse, loving our dog, loving our truck, and loving the outdoors with the same word, right? Now, hopefully, we mean something different. And if not, you and I probably need to talk after the service. But we, when we talk about loving something, we nuance it. But in the original language, in the New Testament, the language of the New Testament, which was Koine Greek, there wasn't one word for love. There was four. And I want to give them to you, and I want to share the meanings, because Jesus very strategically chose one of these when he said, love God and love others. The first word in, in, in the Koine Greek is gestorge, and it literally means the love of a father or a mother for a child. It's family love, familial love. The second one is philia, which most of us recognize is what we know is brotherly love. It's a love that motivates us to help a neighbor. It's how we know and where we get our city, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. The third one was eros. And some of you go, that sounds familiar. Yeah, it's the root from which we get our word erotic. It refers to sexual love, romantic love. And the final word was agape. And agape was a unique love. 
a selfless love. It was a love that focused, had one focus and one focus only, and that was the benefit and the blessing of the object being loved. And in all those four choices, Jesus strategically chose one of those, and it was the word agape. And so when Jesus boiled down what it meant to, to live the law, to live the commandments, to live the prohibitions, Jesus said, agape, love God, and agape, love others. And the reason why was this, because by agape loving God and others, Jesus was saying, telling us that we will embody every single one of the commandments of God. And as well, we will embody what full devotion to God truly looks like. Histor interesting historical footnote. I believe that is why the early church fathers up through the first five centuries were commonly would say something like this to people. Love God and then do whatever you want. Now, they were not advocating a free-for-all. Now, what they were acknowledging, if you want, to, you want to see where they're getting this from, not only from the Word, but Jesus himself said, if you love me, in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, what those early church fathers understood, like Jesus did, was the fact that, folks, that if we truly agape love God and we truly agape love others, then we wouldn't get off course. We wouldn't, to what we talked about the other week, miss the mark. We wouldn't sin. Why? Because our lives would flow from an absolute devotion to God. And our lives would express total obedience, total submission, and total surrender to God. And so they could very confidently say to those who they were shepherding, love God, agape God, and then just go ahead and do whatever you want. Because that kind of love will not lead you into sin. That kind of love will not lead you into disobedience to God. Folks, over the next few weeks in this series, we're going to look at what that takes to live that way, to love God, to agape God, to agape others in that kind of way. But Teddy, here's what I do. I want to set up this series by looking at three overarching themes that permeate Jesus' entire statements about loving God and loving others. So let me just jump into it. Here's the first big thing. The first big theme of agape love for God and agape love for others is it's about full devotion to God. That's the first thing we need to understand. For in, for in telling us, telling his listeners that we are to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength, Jesus was saying to us and saying to his listeners, we're to love God completely. In other words, we are to love God with everything we are and everything we have. Because what we need to understand truly, this lordship issue, that either Jesus is Lord of all, or he is not Lord at all, in our lives, because there is not a square inch of your life, a square inch of my life, to which God does not say, mine. That God does not say, bring it under my authority, bring it under my leadership. And folks, the reality is, the man who asked Jesus to, if you will, sum up, distill down, however you want to say it, the law, seemed to get that. Because I want you to notice the next thing he said. He said, well said, teacher. You are right in saying that God is one and there's no other but him. And to love God with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, 
You are not far from the kingdom. I want you to underline that last phrase. Jesus said, you are not far from the kingdom. Because what Jesus was saying to this man is, it's clear to me you get it conceptually. But what you still need to do is get it experientially. You need to get it practically. In other words, you need to live it out. And folks, the reason I pause to say that to us is because that assessment by Jesus can be true of any of our lives and many people's lives. Because it is very possible for you and I, folks, to conceptually know what it means to love God and to love people, to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus and yet not be living it. And let me explain it to you like this. Let me see if I can help you understand it like this. Folks, it is possible for us to know what it means to be married. In fact, it's even possible for us to believe in the institution of marriage and affirm the institution of marriage. We can even enjoy going to one wedding after another every day of the week. But the reality is none of those things make us married. The only way that you and I become married is when we would deliberately, willfully enter into a marriage relationship, or more accurately, a marriage covenant. Here's my point. While agreeing and even believing what Jesus had to say about loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, the man agreed with, all that did was lead him to the threshold of faith. It did not take him across it. And we need to understand that, folks, because that could be just as true for us. We need to learn to move beyond simply affirming we are to love God with all our heart and soul and strength and mind. And we must live into it. We must actualize it in experience in our life. That's the first big thing. The second big theme of agape love for God and others is it's not about self-fulfillment. It's not about self-fulfillment. And we need to remember that, folks, because you know and I know it's far too easy for us to make loving God and for others just one more goal of our life. In other words, right alongside our health goals and our relational goals and our financial goals and our professional goals, we add a God goal. But even in doing that, oftentimes our God goal is not an end in itself. Instead, we treat it and we act like it's a means to an end. And the end that we're ultimately seeking is self-fulfillment. What we're ultimately seeking is personal happiness and success. Most of us recognize in Greek mythology there was an individual named Narcissist, or Narcissus, excuse me. And, and in that whole story, what happens, what is told about him, is that he was walking along and he sold his image in a pool of water. And he was so enamored with it that he stood there staring at it and staring at it and staring at it until he ultimately fell in the water and drowned. And so from the story of Narcissus, we get our word narcissism. And narcissism, folks, refers to a focus that places everything on self above everything else. It's all about me and mine. Now, folks, today in the church in America, just like the culture in America, increasingly it is being shaped by a narcissism that makes the wants of the individual the focus which is why the average church in America today, the average church in America today is 75 or less. And the average church in America today reaches less than one person for Jesus a year. 
And the average church in America's budget is $125,000. I want you to think about the return on investment of that. 75 people, 365 days a year, and we do not lead even one person to Jesus in a year. Folks, the reality is, we as the church in America say that we exist to fulfill the Great Commission. And yet the reality is, the statistical reality is the majority of our resources, and I mean our time, our talent, and our treasure, is used to meet the needs and the wants of our members. Give you another statistic this week in preparation. Mission Agency has calculated that today the American church has in its possession 3,000 times the amount of money that's needed to fulfill the Great Commission, and it has 9,000 times the manpower required to finish and fulfill the Great Commission. And yet the reality is it's not being fulfilled. And what's happening in the church in America today, folks, and it's been going on for decades, is like the older brother in Jesus' story, we, we act as if the fatted calf should be reserved for us for our needs, our satisfaction, not for those who are coming back to the Father or those who need to come back to the Father. Yet as damaging to the fulfillment of the Great Commission as there's another strand of narcissism in the American church that's even more detrimental. And that is a narcissism and a self-focus that makes spiritual growth and ministry about our satisfaction rather than taking up our cross and following Jesus. And so instead of focusing on learning to feed ourselves and then learning to feed others, we focus instead on being fed. And and, and instead of seeing ministry as something we do for others, for the glory of God and the benefit of others, folks, we see ministry primarily as something done for us. And instead of evaluating worship on the basis of what we give back to God, expressing our love and devotion to God through song and through giving and through other means, we evaluate by what we take away from it. And folks, the reason I share all those things is because those are just a few ways that a self-centered rather than a God-centered or an other-centered mindset is at work in the church today. And I point it out, folks, because it is contrary to Jesus' will for the church, and it is contrary to Jesus' will for you and I as his followers, because at its core, love for God and love for others isn't first and foremost about our happiness and our fulfillment. Now, having said that, let me say this, that doesn't mean they will not produce our fulfillment and our satisfaction, because they will in tremendous ways, but listen They will be the byproduct of loving God and loving others, not the focus. They will be the byproduct. And folks, at the heart of being a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, it is about agape love for God and agape love for others whose goal is the benefit and blessing of others in God, not ourselves. And so we need to know when we hear ourselves say things that focus on our wants, and our needs, and our preferences, we need to know we are drifting away from agape love. Jesus' call on our lives. I want you to notice what Jesus said about this. He said, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must forget about himself. Will you underline that? He must, she must forget about himself. He must rather take up his cross 
and follow me. And then Jesus said this, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Folks, the hallmark of being a follower of Jesus is not self-focus, it's self-denial. In fact, Jesus went one step further and he said, it is death to self is the hallmark of being my follower. For when we selfishly give ourselves to fulfillment of the Great Commission, and folks, what I mean by the fulfillment of the Great Commission is leading people, doing what we talked about last week, building bridges of friendship with those who are far from God and leading them into a relationship with Jesus, then helping them grow and mature in that relationship. When that is the focus of our life, then we most fully and completely reflect the heart and the values of Jesus. Let me give the final big thing of loving God and loving others, and that's about spiritual balance. Spiritual balance. Yet here's the reality, once again, the temptation you and I face, we all face as we live and breathe, is taking one facet of a multifaceted thing and making it everything. And nowhere is that temptation to reduce a multifaceted thing into one thing than in the Christian life. For example, we can, if we're not careful, take the call of Jesus to love God with all our mind and simply reduce it to right doctrine and right thinking. And what that does, if we're not careful, is it leaves us with prideful knowledge and empty beliefism. Or we can take Jesus' call to love him with all our heart and reduce it to emotional highs and mountaintop experiences, completely forgetting That above all, love is an act of our will and not an emotion or feeling that we experience. Or we can take Jesus' call to, to love God with all our soul and reduce it to private spiritual practices or mystical experiences, completely forgetting that faith without deeds is dead. Or we could take Jesus' call to, to love God with all our strength and reduce it down to nothing more than social justice and social activism. Completely forgetting that Jesus himself said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his or her soul? Folks, that's why Jesus said in verse 30, when he was wrapping this up, we are to love God with all our heart and with all our soul and with all our mind and with all our strength because Jesus wanted us to understand that we cannot reduce the Christian life to any one thing because it's head and heart, it's soul and strength, it's love for God and love for others. And so if we would ask Jesus, if we were given the opportunity this morning to ask Jesus, Jesus is loving God about worshiping you and worshiping the Father in the fullness of the Spirit, or is it about thinking deeply about spiritual truth and spiritual doctrine? I believe Jesus would say yes. And if we were able to ask Jesus today, Jesus is a path to personal holiness and intimacy with God through prayerful practices and, pr- and presence with you or selfish, selfless service, Jesus would say yes. Because it's about head, heart, mind, strength, and neighbor. Not one, all five. And folks, that's what we're going to unpack over the next few weeks. And the reason is simple, because I want us to not only know what it means, but I want us in increasingly measure to live it out. And so my prayer for this series, my prayer for me, my prayer for you is for some of us, this will be a life-changing journey. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Folks, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, 
I just want to ask you a question. I simply want to ask you this morning, do you want to know what it truly means to be a fully devoted follower to Jesus? A fully devoted follower has a relationship with him that's based on God's standards and not simply our standards or another person's standards. If you do, I invite you to pray this with me. Just follow along in this prayer. Just say something like this. God, thank you for sending Jesus to show me, to show us what it truly means to live for you. For Father, Jesus clearly taught us that having a relationship with you is about something far more and something far deeper than simply conforming our behavior to sets of rules and rituals. That ultimately, that relationship, ultimately the Christian life is about demonstrating unselfish love for you and unselfish love for others. So Father, right now I'm asking you to help me know the joy of building my relationship with you on internal commitments and not just external obedience to rules and regulations. I'm going to give you just a moment to pray that in your own words. Just talk to God. Talk to Him about your desire to really know what it means to love Him and to love others. Heavenly Father, thank you. And it seems so trivial to say and so trite to say, but thank you for wanting to have a personal relationship with each and every one of us. For the majority of us in this room, Father, for the majority of us watching online, we want that too. But above and beyond that, more than that, we want to live a lives that are honoring to you, pleasing to you. And so we pray this morning that you will help us to be led and controlled by agape love for you and agape love for others. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jerry, for introducing this series to us as we begin that journey uh, of talking about what it looks like to really love. You know, the older I get, I think it gets harder to not be selfish, right? To not think about what's best for me or uh, what's in it for me or those kind of things. And I don't know if you're like that, but just that's what I, it seems uh, as I get older. And, you know, I was trying to think of what is a good test for us um, to see. Thank you. Do we really love people? It seems so trivial Do we to really say love so others? Say, thank you. Um, or are we caring about ourselves? For wanting to have a and personal I think relationship we're going to let them pause that for just a moment because Jerry's competing with me. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but... For the majority of us in this room, Father, for the majority of us watching <laughs> online. Got it? That's, that's all right, Jerry. He just, Jerry wants to preach it again. That's all right. No, but what I was thinking of uh, is I was thinking, you know, what's a good test? And I think driving 
is a good test to see, do we really love others, you know, or do, are we caring about our agenda or what we want? Somebody cuts you off in traffic or they don't put a signal on or that kind of thing. Uh, our knee-jerk reaction is usually to start fussing, right? We complain and we don't, we're like, seriously? And so I have to check myself. I have to think, you know, I don't know what's going on with those people. I don't know if they had an emergency or I just need to cut them some slack. And so I think that's a good litmus test for us is, um, you know, next time you're driving, what's your reaction Are you really being loving? And I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you or have judgment, but it is a really good way, I think, sometimes. So I'm going to ask something of you today. On the back of that card, online in the the chat window, we're going to put that back in in there for you. But would you think for a moment to maybe commit to being here over the next uh, several Sundays for this series? Because I think it's important that um, we learn how to love others like God loves. Because if we are calling ourselves Christians, then we need to be that example. We need to show love. And I think by being here and learning about that, that's going to help us to build that into our lives, into our relationships, and be able to show God's love to others. And you know, Easter's coming, and uh, we want to be preparing for that. And uh, that's part of the reason we're talking about love. Do we really love others? Do we care enough about them to invite them, to tell them about our Jesus. So as we go, that uh, I want that to be in our thoughts today. I do want to remind you, if, uh, if you would like to give today, you can do that online. There will be a link in the chat window. You can do that in person. There's envelopes at the back of the room. You can simply drop that in the, uh, in the, the basket on your way out, along with those gray connection cards. Um, but thank you so much. We, we appreciate your attention today. We appreciate your generosity and for worshiping together with us. And uh, I invite you to do that again with me next week at 9 o'clock or 1030. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you.